Welcome to the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. I'm Kian Wong and with me is Dr. Aim Simpeng of the University of Sydney. Aim's here to talk about her presentation at the recent Digital ASEAN Conference about how social media has been changing electoral politics across the region and perhaps our understanding of politics itself. Thank you for having me. Could you help explain to us what you hope to unravel in terms of how social media affects in some ways the nature of Southeast Asia today in the time when, you know, there's so much contention over how societies should be organised and what democracy means in the shadow, in a way, of the success of China. My paper actually focused on trying to understand the use of social media in election time in Southeast Asia context. Mm -hmm. And there's two things that I really wanted to know that this is what prompted me to to look at this uh, in a regional perspective. Mm -hmm. One is, who is using social media during election times and what are they using it for? Social media uh, use in Southeast Asia is interesting because it has the highest number of active users per capita in the world. So in the top 10 countries of most uh, active social media, more than five of them are in the region. This is why I started this project where I did surveys and interviews and looking at data on on particular Facebook because it's the most dominant social media platform in Southeast Asia to see how people were politically engaged online during election campaign periods. What you found was, I suppose, that it has played a huge role, a, a big influence, right, in terms of managing people's expectations of what their type of democracy would deliver? So the first one I was interested in was who are these people, mm. right? And whether demographic concerns are driving uh, those who are politically engaged. So are we expecting to see younger people more engaged online than people that are older? And this is what I found across the four cases that I look at, which is Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, and the Philippines. But the other two components of the demographics is actually about level of education and income. Even if, and this is putting aside Malaysia for a moment because Malaysia has very high internet penetration, on average in the region, only about half the people, uh, half the population are online. So we're talking about highly digitally divided societies. Half the people online, half people not online. So we're thinking about what are people who are online, you know, what are they looking like, right? So the assumption is they have to probably be wealthier, right? They could afford a phone, probably a little bit more educated, which means that there might be some kind of inequality going on there in the digital sphere, both in experience but also in access. We did find that to be to hold true, um, and not so much for Malaysia. Malaysia has a penetration of over 75%, so that, that affects kind of even out, um, which means that income levels didn't matter as much, education level didn't matter as much. In the Philippines, Thailand, and Indonesia, it was people in the lower middle class who are university educated, but they don't make as much money, who are most politically mobilized during election campaigns in their countries. Mobilized by social media. Yes. Right. So what happens with the wealthier people in Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand? They're not so mobilized by social media? They are, but they're not using social media as actively as uh, the other group. So how would they be politicized? Well, I think they may have other avenues of expressing their interests. It could be through the normal channels that we're thinking about. Traditional lobbying, media. Uh, social media, offline, but online, right? So the cost of barrier into, into engagement 
is non-existent, right? Mm-hmm. So usually you're thinking about who are the type of people who are politically engaged mm-hmm. in the offline term. Mm-hmm. Usually people with more resources mm-hmm. and time, mm-hmm. right? It's people who are in a who are better off, mm. right? Because it's an opportunity cost. Mm. The time you spend being politically active is is not the time you're spending, you know, working your day-to-day job, mm. but it's also about level of education. So there's this long correlation that we think about people who are have more education tend to be more politically aware mm-hmm. and therefore more politically active. And the idea of social media is the supposed to break down all those barriers mm-hmm. and in fact invite people in the lower ranks of society to be more politically engaged because it doesn't cost them that much mm-hmm. anymore right in fact nothing mm-hmm. because many people are actually on social media while they're at work right and that's just what we're seeing now. and it relies in, in a way also on the affordability i guess of smartphones right because almost hundred percent, I suppose, engage yes. social media through mobile phones. That's right. Very high percentage of mobile phone access. This is the first portal to the internet for mm. people coming online. Millions of them in Southeast Asia mm. is on mobile phones. Mm. And it's not the ones we think about as expensive. It's actually the, the you know, Chinese main ones mm-hmm. are a lot cheaper mm-hmm. or used phones, right? Yes. So now, you know, you, you go into to, to particular parts of the country in, in the Indonesia and they don't have proper roads and access to water and the electricity is spotty, but they they all have phones, mm-hmm. right? And this is what the kind of digital leap we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, it's cheaper to have a mobile phone tower than laying landlines. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's how they do it. Because the other thing also, I suppose, is that for a lot of people, the internet actually means Facebook. That's right. It actually doesn't mean the traditional open source mm-hmm. uh, World Wide Web. That's right. You know, Kian, you and I growing up, we actually learned how to properly use computers first, mm-hmm. right? Then we learn how to use Microsoft Office. We learn how to type. This, mm-hmm. These are skills of digital literacy. And then the phones come and then we learn how to use an app. We learn how to look for information and compare different types of information. The new generation skip completely all through that, right? They just go straight to an app, mm-hmm. just like Facebook that provides news for them. Mm-hmm. So this is a new reality that we have to contend with. Mm-hmm. And do you find that depending on the country or is it common across all these countries and all these societies, any particular apps that they prefer or is it Facebook that's dominant or do they use WhatsApp messaging or do they use other apps entirely? Well, there's multiple social media platforms. Facebook is the most dominant of all across Southeast Asia. Everybody still uses it as the main platform of communication. Now, um, there's two ways to communicate on social media, right? Well, more than two, but the two main ones is, you know, public-facing one, which is through Facebook mostly, and then the more private types of communication through encrypted chat mm-hmm. apps. And this is where you see the divergence in usage across Southeast Asia. So WhatsApp is very dominant in Indonesia and Malaysia. Facebook Messenger is very dominant in Myanmar, Cambodia, and the Philippines. And Thailand is line. And of course, the problem in trying to monitor all of these, if you were from the outside, is that in many of these encrypted chat groups, it's actually hard to see where the conversations and the so-called fake news is going, right? Because that's something that has been an issue, say, Mm. speaking to Kirsten Hahn from Singapore, where the controversy of them introducing what seems to be a very all-encompassing, authoritarian-minded fake news legislation Mm -hmm. for control can be actually very difficult when you're dealing with, say, the closed 
encrypted apps you're talking about? Uh, definitely. I mean, first of all, you know, governments everywhere the, around the world, not just Southeast Asia, are looking for more control, mm. right? Control of information. Mm. But also they're trying to have leverage over these social media companies because they feel that these social media companies have too much power over mm. what's going on in their society. Mm. Even though it's often, you know, accidentally, right? It's not that Facebook decided, I want to be more powerful than the government. It just happens that way. Mm. And so in trying to rein in the controls, they're trying to figure out different ways for which they can have access to this information at will. So I think as a society, we need to decide how do we push back, right? Because everybody's contesting uh, their power over different platforms. So efforts to trying to gain access to encrypted messaging mm -hmm. will rely heavily on what the corporations decide, right? right? What they're going to do because they have to negotiate this with the, the platforms themselves. Mm -hmm. And we are in some way taken out of this whole negotiation as users. But in fact, we are the one using them, right? And we should have more saying what's going on. So I hear you with these concerns about, well, government said they want access to encrypted messages now. Mm -hmm. And that kind of negotiation between that is, and whether that's okay or not, is really between the government and social media platforms. And I argue that, you know, we should be part of that consideration too. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in authoritarian leaning governments, that's not how they see the issue. Because depending on the country, do you think that there is any common ground in terms of how governments try and control the messaging or the perception of governance, whether it's in the recent elections that you've had in Indonesia and in Thailand versus, say, the one last year in Malaysia, which mm. saw so-called regime change happen, and the one next year, which Singaporeans are expecting. Mm -hmm. Do you think that they have all each been using different methods to control the messaging or are there sort of like commonalities between them? Well, the overall concern for these governments is about regime survival, right? Regime security. So they're very concerned about the instability that social media platforms bring about mm. in their governance. However, if you look at the way they censor and the content that they censor, you immediately see divergence, right? You mm. immediately see that certain countries care more mm. about religious issues than other countries. Certain countries care more about gender issues than other countries. Certain countries care more about minorities than other countries. Those are cues to see what are the sensitive points of each regime diverse. Mm -hmm. And the other commonality is that everyone's looking at the China model as a way to go about censorship because so, they're so good at it. So China is a great example for state control, actually, right? Definitely. And the success of the China model in a sense of success being defined as successfully censor mm -hmm. is that they've laid down the groundwork long before. It's an institutional framework that they've built up mm -hmm. before they let social media mm -hmm. platforms run loose. Whereas Southeast Asian societies are dealing, grappling with the fact that they've had all this open access and now they're trying to rein it in and it's so much harder because you have to fight more battles. And also I guess the big difference between the China model and what Southeast Asian nations today are facing is that uh, China doesn't allow any of these foreign tech giants to sell their apps, to have their apps working in right. their market. Right, Whereas right. They have way more control. The foreign tech giants yeah. have their apps mm -hmm. very popular. Right. In Southeast Asia, right? Right, right. And there is no attempt at all to make any investment mm. to have home homegrown apps to compete. Mm. Right. So it's not like they're investing in, 
you know, let's let's come up with our own apps that could compete with Facebook. They sort of accept that this is what we have to deal with. So in that regard, I suppose for Southeast Asian nations to negotiate control over information, they have to deal with foreign tech giants. Absolutely, yeah. Who have local offices in this country. But also they have different principles. Accountability, different... Yes. Everyone each side is trying to figure out how to advance their agenda, right? And it's a clear, it's a total tug of war. And I remember this conversation with the uh, head of Facebook, the the head of of the governance division, which is basically dealing with all these legal issues. And uh, we went to a workshop and he said that I just came back from Turkey. This is several years ago, um, where they just had a very heated election where um, the incumbent and current uh, leader, Erdogan, every now and then to just get rid of all of it, right? So I said, how how do you negotiate requests for information from state government? And he said, it's an on a case-by-case basis, mm. which means that they probably have some guidelines on what to do, but it really is context-based, which means that contestation and this talk of war is ongoing all the time. And there isn't a strong line that you know Facebook would say and said, we're not doing this ever for anyone. So I think this is where we're at. Everyone's fighting, right? So then you have to negotiate with society. I mean, obviously, governments would like to do whatever they want without having to care about society in an authoritarian setting. But the reality is they can't. Mm. So finally, I suppose, going back to the research that you found with those societies in Southeast Asia, how were electoral outcomes easily influenced or is actually quite difficult with uh, the control of social media because it's an imperfect control anyway, right? You don't really have full control. So the three findings that I think are helpful in ha- trying to understand the, the you know the relationship between politics, society, and social media. Mm. One is social media, in particular Facebook, now influence what voters vote, who voters vote for, right? So information gained from social media actually has a direct impact on voting choice, and that's really critical because that used to not be the case. That used to be the case of you watch TV and listen to debates, maybe, mm. or maybe you ask your mom who mm. to vote for. But now, people are going out on their own and you know, looking at information on themselves and making decisions based on what they see. So if you already are much more likely to gain most of your news on social media, then social media suddenly becomes a place for which you make the important political decisions, which is voting. It seems to be the case, and Malaysia is an exception to this, that social media does open up possibly for political engagement for people in a lower rung of society. So it lowers the barriers for people who may have been disengaged before or couldn't really afford to be politically active to be one. And that's a good thing for Southeast Asia. We need more of that, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of how much restriction mm-hmm. the governments try to put, right? It's still way more open than ever before. The third one is the leapfrogging context that I mentioned to you where people just go from having no lights to having a smartphone could definitely impact how much and the extent to which false information spread mm-hmm. because people just don't have neither the time nor the ability to think critically about the information mm-hmm. that they're seeing. And the way the algorithms work for these social media uh, platform is that if you decided to listen to one part of the story, you keep hearing that same part of the mm-hmm. story, right? Mm-hmm. So it has this filter bubble effect. Mm-hmm. And so people, most people are not aware, some people are aware, but you know, this is just how it is. So mm-hmm. I think it calls 
into we need to be more critical than ever uh, on social media while going through all this digital revolution mm-hmm. altogether. Is subject to the policies that are made elsewhere by t- foreign tech giants. Definitely. And closed-door negotiations, negotiations with governments that doesn't involve us. So some of that agency is not entirely with the societies themselves. No, but we need to recognize that mm. and fight for it. Because mm. if we just let this slide, it will keep sliding, mm-hmm. right? Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. For more podcasts like this, look up Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at soundcloud.com.